been a while. I think George and I just calculated last time here. I was here was over three years ago, so might have been four. Um, been out here a few times, and I've always enjoyed worshiping with you, fellowshipping with you. Um, of course, George and I go back about 40 years. I would tell you that I remember him when he was good looking, but I'm not going to start off not telling the truth. But, but uh, that's me, that goes for me too, George. But. So uh, we're going to be talking today about a, a passage of scripture that um, it's really well beyond me to really do this passage well. There's so much here. Just pray that the Lord will help me unravel a little bit of it, and we can make some applications and draw out some truths that are eternal, because that's what God's Word is. We can never master it. We can never completely know it. Unlike one volume of one book anywhere, no one can master the Word of God in this lifetime and understand all the truth, all the lessons, and all the applications that we fail to make to our own lives. We've heard this story, this narrative, this truth about Christ crucified and the thieves on the cross many, many times. I I would say there's probably no one here that's ever attended church anywhere very often at all. They haven't heard a message on this. They haven't had a Sunday school class on this. Possibly have questions on this. So we're going to try to look at this and use scripture to help us with scripture. See where this brings us. If you don't mind, I'd like to open in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, please illuminate our hearts and minds. Teach us your word, despite me. I pray that, Father, we glorify Jesus Christ. And our praise for you will increase and be on our lips. And when we behold all that's said and done, we will be speechless. We will be without the ability to express the joy of our awesome Savior. May this all be done for your glory and honor. May every year hear it as you would speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There are many narratives. You can go through the three synoptic Gospels and the Gospel of John and do comparisons and pick up things about the crucifixion. The thief on the cross. The thieves on the cross. You can pick up through all four accounts and you can see the seven sayings, recorded sayings of Christ on the cross. But the thief on the cross, we need to look, we need to look at the book of Luke. We need to look at chapter 23. And I'll be picking up in verse 26. <clears throat> now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, St. Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross, that it might bear it after, he, he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude, notice this, a great multitude of the people followed him, and women, who also mourned and lamented him, but Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children, for indeed the days are coming in which 
they will say, Blessed are the barren, the wombs that never bore, and breasts which never nursed. Then they will say to their to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the greenwood, what will be done in the dry? There were also two other criminals led by him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garment and cast lots, and the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let them save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. Then one of the criminals who was who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. And you may want to read the Matthew account in verse 27, 4, 44, and Mark 15, 32. You'll read that both of them mocked him. Blasphemed him. But the other answering rebuked him saying, do not, do you not even fear God seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth, until the ninth hour, when the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So when the centurion saw this, what had happened, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And in the Matthew Mark account, he says, Son of God. And the whole crowd who came together to, to the that site, seeing what they had done, beat their breast and returned. But all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance, watching these things. We have an amazing narrative here. We see that Jesus... was led away, and then Simon was compelled to carry the cross member of the cross, most likely. And it certainly seems that Simon knew him by the other narratives, and even there's a tradition of some sort that there's some knowledge. He was compelled to carry the cross member, because Jesus had been beaten so severely during his flogging, a flogging which had been known to kill, to maim seriously, great loss of blood. You know how weak he can become when you lose blood? You know severe trauma, how it can be if you've ever had a severe injury. But we read about it, and we see this procession with thieves and with Jesus and the women that mourned. And we'll read later the narratives and other narratives, the mockers, the abusers, the scorners, the crowd. The spectators. 
those that wanted to see this event. And we read about thieves. It's probably not a good translation, thieves. The word used, uh, Josephus uses as rebels. And the rebels, rebels were usually those that were slaves rebelling or leading an insurrection like Barabbas. And many believe these could have been the very ones being led by Barabbas. And the very fact that the leader of the insurrection, who is responsible for, for deaths, is taken over Jesus Christ. With the priest, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, inciting the crowd and demanding, saying, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. We see something interesting that we call this the humiliation of Christ. Beaten unjustly, silent as a lamb before his shears, proceeding to be crucified through the crucifixion, going to Golgotha, two thieves, two rebels, two insurrectionists, and the crucified. Why this humiliation? Of course, the religious leaders, the Jewish nation as a whole, the Jewish people, those of the institution of the religion of the Jewish people, they wanted him crucified. He would have destroyed their way of life and the abuses and the system they set up. Okay, they rejected the Messiah, okay. So to make him grovel if they could, which they didn't, but to abuse him and humiliate him was at the top of the list. To have him crucified in lieu of Barabbas was a big mark. And they brought him out with these rebels, and he was crucified. But the humiliation of Christ did not start here. There is a, if I can find the quote here, if you ever get a chance, you can look under the, you know, the longer catechism, the shorter catechism. The shorter catechism, Westminster Shorter Catechism, is probably the most concise statement on the humiliation of Christ. It says, Wherein did Christ's humiliation consist? Christ's humiliation consisted in his being born, in that low condition, made under the law, undergoing the miseries of his life, the wrath of God and the curse of the death of the cross being buried and continuing under the power of death for a time. We really don't understand the humiliation of Christ. A humiliation he went through because he said he did this for the joy set before him of redeeming his people. Can you imagine that? Facing these trials, facing these temptations, coming knowingly as the Lamb of God, and you know he came under the Direct teachings and discipline of God the Father, these are what must be fulfilled. You must be fulfilled. You must be a suffering servant. You must carry out the will of the Father. You must save those and every one of those I gave you. And you alone will be the propitiation for sin. And Christ was born a man, son of man. It's an interesting topic, interesting word. He's just son of man. Who has not heard that expression before, son of man in the Bible? You've heard it. Book of Matthew, it's found 30 times. 32 matches and 30 verses. Book of Mark, 
13 verses found, 14 matches. Book of Luke, 26 verses, 26 matches. Book of John, 11 verses, 12 matches. Book of Acts, 1 verse found, 1 match. Book of Hebrews, 1 verse found, 1 match. Book of Revelation, 2 verses found, 2 matches. 84 times. The book of Ezekiel, 93 times. Daniel, two times. And it's mentioned in Jeremiah as a non-title. It's just a description, Son of Man. Those are title verses. And there's three primary reasons Son of Man's used. One is to be that he's associated with the human race. He's the second Adam. He came born of a woman. A virgin birth, mind you, but he was born of a woman. He came according to the prophecy, born of a virgin. And he suffered the limitations of a man. God the Father is never limited. God the Son is never limited. But Jesus Christ took on. The theologians like to refer, this, to refer to this as the hypostatic union. And they refer to the man with the full nature. And Jesus is fully God. Jesus never ceased to be God. And man never ceased to be man. What does that mean? How does that work out? First off, you can't kill God. You can kill a man. More importantly, the second Adam had to fulfill what the first Adam did not. All righteousness. Live a sinless, perfect life. Be a perfect lamb to go to the cross. Took the body of a man. But sometimes, evangelicals and people well-meaning minimize the humanity of Christ. What do we mean by that? There have been theories, there have been heresies that popped up. Some said, well, he appeared to be a man. He really wasn't a man. He really didn't have the soul of a man. He really didn't have human nature. He was just encased in flesh. And that's clearly not what the scripture teaches. Others have said, well, he's a man, but not a man like we know. And that's true in the sense that he was sinless. He was sinless, and he stayed sinless. Others said he didn't have a man's soul. He had a man's soul. He was tempted. People say Christ was never tempted. Christ was tempted. He was tempted for 40 days in the wilderness and he grew up with temptation. With the, he could have sinned. He didn't sin. People try to say, well, he couldn't have sinned. Well, no, he's mankind. He was tempted in every way that we've been tempted and now he knows how to secure us from our temptation. And he was found sinless. One with sinless nature remained sinless, but he was tempted. He hungered. He thirsted. He had to learn to walk as a child. He had to go through the development stages of a child. And there's even little verses in the Bible that let us know about his humanity. Fully God humanity. One time he saw Nathan under the tree when Nathan walks up to him and says, Oh, an Israeli without guile. He goes, How did you know that? He said, I saw you while you were under the tree in the shade. He goes, Oh, you're the Messiah. He says, You'll see greater things than these. But another time he was asked about when the Lord, he said, When will, when will the, when will it happen? When will be, the judgment. When will, when, will, when will you come again? When will it happen? And he said, no man knows that hour except God the Father. And he said, uh-huh. See, Jesus emptied himself. And people said he was a little less than God. If God becomes less than God, he can't be God. If he didn't gain back a portion and learn something, he's not God. He's not infinite. He's not, he's not all-powerful. He's not omniscient. Can't happen. So what does it mean? It means that the humanity of Christ, Christ the man, 
It was never revealed to him by Christ God for that day, for him to know that. But when you see Jesus ask a question to his disciples, just remember this, they're all rhetorical. He knows. But he hungered and thirsted. He was fully man. He would look like a man if he saw him. He could stub his toe. He could bleed. That's the Jesus. And that's the humiliation when he came to this earth. And worse yet, we do know that he looked at people's hearts. He knew what people were thinking. He knew what the Pharisees were thinking. He knew what the religious leaders were thinking. When they said, how can a man forgive sin unless he's God? He said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll heal him just to prove that I can forgive sins here on earth. He read their thoughts. What do you think it was like for Jesus Christ to be born into a family with brothers and sisters? Yes, he had brothers and sisters, half-sisters. Mary had no relationship with Joseph till after he was born. What do you think it was like to know what your brothers and sisters are thinking about you? How about your mom? How about nothing filtered? And he knows it. We have married people here, right? My wife and I are coming up to 42 years. And I don't know how she did it, but she's getting there. Fact of the matter is, you could be as loving, as kind to your spouse, but if they saw every flash thought that came into your mind without a filter, your anger toward them, your frustration toward them, it would be hard to take. And we're told, we're told to guard our tongue, guard our mouths. They do harm. Jesus knew when Mary got frustrated with him. And Joseph, before he passed away, obviously, he had to have known they're human. He knew when he would have to meet people, they're going, oh, yeah, yeah, this is Mary's boy. The one that, wink, wink, was born without her having any relationship with the man, right? Yeah, okay. He knew that. He knew everybody, everything they said about him. He knew humiliation. He knew the resentment by his own brothers and what they caused. One time he was preaching, remember, he's preaching. And his family came to get him because they said he's out of his mind. we got to get him home. It's going to blow up. So when he was even told one time, he goes, Hey, your brother, your sister, your mom, they're here for you. And he goes, Who are my family? Who's my mother? Who's my brothers? But those that do the will of God. And he started very early in his ministry. People were saying, This isn't just a man. And when he came from the wilderness of Judea, he came preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is hand. The same message John the Baptist preached. This is not a new gospel. He knew humiliation like we never He knew rejection like we never knew. Rejected by his family. Doesn't look like his brothers and sisters' family believed he was the Messiah. Till after the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15 says he went and showed himself to his brethren. Two of those half-brothers, most likely, one wrote James, one wrote Jude. Imagine looking back and saying, I reject him, I rejected him, I rejected him, I didn't believe it. Now being saved, remembering how he wrote, how he lived, how he, what he said, what he did. He knew humiliation. We have no concept of the humiliation Jesus Christ went through for over 30 years as a man. And yet he was found without sin. So those that thought, well, we'll, we'll, we'll humiliate him. If there's ever anybody been prepared for humiliation, it was our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He goes 
and he's crucified with these two rebels, most likely insurrectionists. The Bible has a lot to say about it. It says in Isaiah 53.3, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Luke 9.58 And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Jesus Christ was not a property owner. Jesus Christ didn't own anything in this life. John 4, 6, Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary uh, with his journey, sat down on the well, uh, and it was about the sixth hour of the day. And he came to the well. Why? He was weary. Sure, he wanted to meet the Samaritan woman. Sure, he had a mission. But you know what? He was tired. He was thirsty. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. You think Jesus wept? He really wept? Jesus was a man. Jesus wept. His friend Lazarus died. He's still fully man and he wept. Hebrews 2.18 um, For in that he himself suffered being tempted, he is able to secure those that are tempted. Psalm 22.1 My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the wording of my roaring, Matthew 27.46, about that nine hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He then said in Isaiah 53.10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put on him grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days in the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. First John 22.2 uh, 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the world. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, Galatians 3.13. Cursed is everyone that hangs on the tree. He quotes the Old Testament passage. Philippians 2.8 And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus' whole life on this earth, until the crucifixion, the resurrection, was one of humiliation, and his and his glorification, his exaltation, started at the resurrection. That's what he knew, and now he's crucified with two thieves, two rebels. Now you know, as I told you, I gave you reference. If you looked up the other two accounts, you'll see that it said both of them either blasphemed or mocked him. Something's happened. One of them again starts to, as it says in the passage, one of them again said, then one of the criminals who was hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself. And now, the other one says, look at his response. Look at the words he uses. He says, the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation, and we indeed justly? For we receive the due reward of our sins, but this man has done nothing wrong. What has happened? 
two thieves, both blasphemed, both said horrible things to him. We don't know everything said. And now one said, wait, 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 wait. Don't you fear God? We deserve what we got. That's what he said. We deserve what's happening to us. He's righteous. You know, the Bible says we're all sinners. The world tells us that's not really the case. Some people are sinners, but there's big sinners. You know, people kill people, people that, you know, do really bad things. I don't do bad things. People want you to believe that they're sinners and they're really sinners. Genesis 8.21 said, now remember who this was said to. This was Noah and his family after they were redeemed from the world, saved from the world, eight people, eight souls. And yet to them, and the Lord smelled a soothing aroma, talking about their sacrifice. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. We're told that they go from their mother's womb speaking lies. And as we'll look in a passage in Romans here shortly, we're born into sin. Both original and the sin we practice. Two thieves on a cross. People are passing by. That's exactly where he should be with those kind of people. Romans 3.23 says, For all of sin to come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5.12, therefore just as one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. Romans 3.10, as is written, there is none righteous, no not one. And you he hath made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2.1 And if you think this is a New Testament message that's finally clear, let me read from you from the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 18.4 The soul whose sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteous of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Isaiah 64, 6 says, We are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousness are like filthy rags. Despicable, filthy wrecks. What's going on? We know they're sinners. We're getting a glimpse of something. The best illustration you will ever see. I don't believe there's another place so illustrated in all the Bible. We're seeing the condition of the world. The reality of eternity represented by three, Jesus Christ 
two sinners on a cross. What happened? What's going on? How did Old Testament saints know this? What happened in the past? They didn't know about Jesus on the cross. They didn't clearly understand. What, what, what happened? If we're all sinners, what happened in the past? What's happening now? How do you make the transition from a sinner to a saint? How do you get from being a sinner condemned and blessed of God? What happens? Has it ever happened before? It's happened all throughout the Bible. And there were illustrations made that were beautiful illustrations. Numbers, chapter 21.8. So then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Jesus Christ repeats that in John chapter three in John chapter three fourteen. He said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and Jesus Christ has been lifted up. And there were people saved from death and people who came to true believers because God told them to do that, and by faith they responded. And the Bible talks about in the Old Testament faith. It talks about faith. It talks about how we can't do it with good works. It talks about something happening, something transition. Jesus said, whoever believes on him should not perish but have eternal life. 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He who believes is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Everybody is condemned until they come to Christ. Everybody. No exceptions. No time period. No special dispensations. No time God acted differently. Everybody is condemned. Old Testament saint, New Testament saint. So by faith they were justified. You mean people didn't know? People tried to work out their salvation? And people tried to do good things? Absolutely. Isaiah had to address it. He said, Ho, everyone who thirst, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Isaiah 55, 2. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen to me. Eat what is good and let your soul delight in abundance. Verse 53. Incline your heart and come to me. And your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. We think that people, just recently, in the New Testament age, discovered faith in Christ. In hyper-dispensationalism, they used to say you actually, in fact, the sacrifice, the sacrificial system was the atoning for sins. Whereas Hebrews clearly teaches the blood of no bulls or goats has ever atoned for sin. It was by faith. What does it say in Genesis chapter 3? It says, it says, Abraham believed God and was counted unto him as righteousness. Well, he was a Jew called him that. 
He was still Abram. He became Abraham. His faith was counted unto him as righteousness. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast, Ephesians 2.9. John 1.12, for as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. And Paul starts off that wonderful epistle to the Romans, people he had never even had a chance to meet yet. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. For the Jew first, and also the Greek, Romans 1.16. In Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ. In Romans 10.13, For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ten seventeen. So then faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. That thief on that cross when he had his legs broken and he, was, he died asphyxiated after Christ died, was, was he was in the joyous presence of our Lord and Savior. When that thief was there, the greatest thing he could think about is that he went to the cross and found Jesus. There was nothing better in his life. Now this has been a passage many people say, it just proves God snatches people from death sometimes. Right before they die, they become Christians. That is true. That's not the point of this passage, though. It's not the, multi- it's not the major point. This is the point. Here is a thief. An admitted sinner, a rebel, an insurrectionist, very likely a murderer because they did not crucify thieves. And he's crucified. And he is cursed. He is blasphemed Jesus Christ right there. He sees Jesus Christ praying, Father, forgive them. He hears Jesus Christ concerned about his own mother saying, Behold your son. Behold your mother. Giving John the, John the uh, privilege of taking care of Mary, not his own brothers and sisters. He hears him saying all these things. He hears him saying and interceding. And he doesn't hear bitterness. He doesn't hear cursing. And he sees a righteous man. And he's heard about this person. He hears the things the followers are saying. He hears the things that are said on there. And the Spirit of God starts to work on him. Who just a little while ago, a matter of minutes or hours, had cursed him, had mocked him. And his hands are tied. He can't say, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to dedicate my life to you. I'll do something different. What do you want me to build? Where do you want me to go? What pilgrimage do I undertake? What dragon do I slay? What do I do? I can do something. He goes, I can't do anything. There's nothing I can do. I have no hope. There's nothing I have. Not one thing do I bring. Then the Spirit of God had convicted him of his sin. And now he beheld Jesus as the Messiah. He didn't even have the words. I grew up in uh, really fundamentalist churches. And we we taught people the sinner's prayer. And we would have altar calls. Repeat after me. Say this. Welcome into the kingdom, brother. You're saved. 
If you've ever been where I'm telling you, this is literally what was going on. And I knew some well-meaning people, and I know people that heard the gospel, I have no doubt were trained to save. But it was a making decisions out of some very green fruit. And a lot of people were given false assurances. They even got cards. Many times there was, a, there was a sinner's prayer card they would sign after the confession of faith. Seen revival services where hundreds, hundreds made professions of faith. There was nobody to tutor this boy and tell him what to say. Many years ago, he's passed away since then. My brother and my future brother-in-law sat next to me in a church. And I was so godly-minded. My dad was preaching. I was home from school at seminary time. You know what I was thinking about? This is after, after seminary, but I was thinking about what new deer rifle I was going to get. Because I didn't like the sermon. I'm thinking, Dad, this is, you're way off. This isn't good. And this guy sitting next to me, soon to be my brother-in-law, elbowed me. And you know what he said? And I'd already become a Calvinist. One reason I wasn't happy in the sermon. But he said to me, Dave, I'm lost. I want to be saved. What do I do? I asked God to forgive me. I said, you got to go to Jesus. You asked Jesus to save you. He didn't even think he was worthy of that. He said, just remember me. But he knew this, that he had a kingdom. He was going to be resurrected. He was there for the purpose of dying for sin. And what did he say? Some mercy. If you could forgive me. And Jesus said, Assuredly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And sometimes God brings us through really difficult times. You'll meet people that sometimes when Jesus Christ starts to work in their life, they go through some horrible tribulations, some trials. And they see their helplessness like a thief on the cross. Because until everybody that comes to Christ realizes they can do nothing, they have no bag of good works, you cannot turn to the Savior. No matter what you read, the words you've given, until you realize you're absolutely helpless, and for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Why? Not of works, lest any man should boast. That thief couldn't boast. And all these religious leaders were going back and forth. And the Bible says that they were, ah, there he is, wagging their fingers. This is the one that said he would, uh, you know, he, he, he was, he was God's son. Well, call for the angels. Pull yourself off that cross. He said something one time. They said, I think he's calling Elijah. They're having a good time with this. He's still on the cross. There were others that just, beat their breasts and oh this is horrible I, I feel bad I hate to see the suffering because they showed up to be entertained others said you know he saved others can't he save himself but there were some they saw what was happening the spirit of God worked in their heart and there was a centurion that said truly this is the son of God 
Peter on the day of Pentecost said, and you crucified him. Many who were there that day were there on Pentecost. And, he told, and they said, what then should we do? They're on the cross. They have no hope. They can't do any good works. They see themselves for what they are. Helpless. They need mercy and grace. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They, one thing you have to remember here. What did that thief on the cross acknowledge? He was a sinner. He said, I deserve what I've got. You think there's a reason why the first message recorded by John the Baptist, and in that day, in that day, uh, that time John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus Christ, after being tempted in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights by Satan, his first recorded message was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. When you preach against sin, and how it kills, and how you're dead to sin, and the only hope is Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And when people acknowledge their sin and they seek a Savior, that's where true faith comes in. We don't have a bag of works. We don't have a bag of works we can count on. And then he says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. And he was. Today, if you've come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, as a sinner saying, Jesus saved me. You might not have had all the words. You might not have gone through the sinner's prayer checklist. You might not have had someone coaching you in. You might not have someone, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, you need to do it right. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, when the Spirit of God calls you, it's the irresistible force of grace. That's what happened. One who cursed, one who blasphemed, is now said, I gotta have him. Maybe he'll just remember me and Jesus said, You're gonna be with me. You know, there's some wonderful things here that we can learn from. One of these is this, and I don't mean to go on too long, but I'm gonna go on a little longer. Okay. One of the things here is this. There were many religious people there. Luke chapter 12, verse 48 says something. And every time the gospel is preached, there almost needs to be a disclaimer sheet handed out to everybody that walks in. Because if you reject the gospel, each day your condemnation is greater. In Luke chapter 12, verse 48 says, But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with you. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask more. There will be more stripes. There's greater degrees of punishment. I absolutely believe the Bible teaches it. The Bible teaches that, he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like graves which are not seen, and the men who walk over them are not aware of them. And he said to him in Luke 8, 44, You are of your father the devil. And your desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth. Because he is a liar. Uh, the truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks a lie. He speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. And Jesus said, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sins. Where I go, you cannot go. That's, he didn't say, today you'll be with me in paradise. Everybody today said, well, as soon as you die... You know what? You're justified by death. You go to heaven. Everybody goes to heaven. No, they don't. 
Bible, he's talking to these religious leaders, says, many stripes. What you know, what you've handled. People that have sat in pulpits and don't preach salvation by faith in Christ and Christ alone are the greatest criminals in the world. They're the guiltiest people imaginable. And the wrath is unbelievable what they face. When each one of us see that we deserve nothing but the wrath of God, we're bound. We can't do one good thing. We can't make commitments. We can't make promises. We can just come to, oh, Jesus Christ, dear Lord Jesus, remember me. Forgive me. And then the last lesson I'd just like to everybody to remember that I believe this passage teaches eternal security. Remember, Jesus died shortly thereafter. He was on the cross a short period of time. Surprising people that he died when he finally said, it is finished. And he gave up his spirit. Father, into your hand do I commit my spirit. The thieves on the cross lasted. And they even got some reprieve because they didn't let him go into the Sabbath, so they had their legs broken, so they would asphyxiate. They came to Jesus. He was already dead, but just to make sure they pierced his side, and blood and water came out. But they broke the legs of this. Even this one who is now is a believer. How many you ever had real physical pain? Horrible pain? Agonizing pain? You know someone that died in death? My sister, the last three months of her life, was on a morphine trip. And she died of an excruciating form of cancer. She was 39 years old. She was a believer in Jesus Christ. Her pain was excruciating. I've known of others to die like that. And Christians can have corrupt, evil thoughts. Christians can think things and say things they have no business saying that are sinful. But even before he died, Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So wait a minute. You don't know what he's going to do next. He could curse in his mind. He could say, he could hate. He could hate his oppressors. He could hate. He could show. And, and, and he might not act like a Christian. He could lose his salvation. Oh, no. The Bible says he gives us living water that we'll never thirst again. He said, no man plucks us out of his father's hand. When Jesus Christ is, when you're born again, you can't get unborn. When you're truly converted, you're Christ. And the thief on the cross was told, I don't know what he did. I have no idea what he did, but I know he had a lot of agony ahead of him. The people that tell you you can lose that, let me tell you this. If we could lose it, every one of us would lose it. There's nobody here except by the sealing power of the Holy Spirit and the persevering of the work of God would not lose their salvation. And he's promised salvation. And he's done that before at other times. So, we see through a horrible series of events, we see the wonder of the grace of God. We see that there are no bag of good works. We see that even when we don't have the proper words, when we call out by faith in Jesus Christ, he saves us. When he does things in people's lives that seem horrible, sometimes that's how he brings some people to Christ. And we are comforted that even we can pray for people we know dying, and there have been people on their deathbeds truly turned to Jesus Christ. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said it's be known that we were tripping them, grabbing them, hanging on to them, clinging on to them, doing everything we could to keep them from diving into hell. Marching into hell. And we do that because we believe up till the last moment 
we can preach the gospel. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your mercies. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that we were just as helpless on a cross. Those that you have called to you, Lord Jesus, know they could not offer one thing to change their status as sinners. Sinners cursed. Sinners doomed. With death closing in quickly. Father, if there's anybody here today that thinks they've had anything worthwhile, they can offer to Christ. Anything they can do. If they haven't come to a time where they just simply call out, Lord Jesus, save me. Lord Jesus, save me. You are my only hope. May that happen according to your spirit. And for those that might reject it, may they be in fear, fear of God, till they come to the Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.